Good morning. Is that better? Okay. Well, I hope you brought your lunch. And anyway, uh, good morning. You guys look really good today. You know what I like? I like when, when I'm there and we're worshiping and I can feel your worship on the back of my head. That's the best thing in the world for a pastor is when I can, when we do corporate worship and I can, I can feel it on me, you on me. I don't have the, that, is, that sounds weird, but, but I mean, I really, it's just like your, your, your praise and your worship, um, it, it does something. It pushes things forward. And uh, thank you for that, church. Thank you for, for contending for the presence of God this morning. It's going to make a difference in your life. I guarantee it. Um, we're in a series right now of, of, you know, dreaming big, you know, the best is yet to come. God's got this incredible dream and plan for your life. And then, but it's, it's not this like this ethereal dream faith thing that we usually, or that I usually do. We're, we're going to be talking about how to get there and the get there is your part. To get there, they're like, there's some practical stuff. You got to put some legs on this dream. You've got to put some foundation to this. There, you have to, you have to pull your own weeds to make this dream happen. Amen. You got to move. You got to move forward on your own. You know, God's got His part, but He's going to partner with you. You've got your part. Last week we talked about the idea of, of being stuck, like you're just you're stuck in a rut, and uh, and you need to get out. And so we talked about how to get out of that rut. And, and today, we're going to be talking about making decisions. You got to get from point A to point B. That requires the decision-making process. And I guarantee that a large majority of us are facing some really big decisions in life. And there's a way to approach them. There's a godly way to approach big decisions. And we're going to take a look at it. It's in the Bible. This is this is practical stuff again. We got points. You guys are lucky because I didn't get to them all last service. But anyway, we've got some points to look at. Tell you what, um, before we start, it's not going to be on your screen, but if you want to turn to Acts chapter 15, verse 22, 25. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you, our dear brothers, Paul and Barnabas, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, the emphasis there is risk. They risk their very own lives for the gospel message. And so that's kind of, you know, whenever you make a decision, it involves risk. And we just, like our society wants to, we just want to get rid of risk altogether. You know, we've got, you know, we've got insurance that does that. We've got all these different, you know, we don't want to do things that are too risky. We don't want to take a chance. We don't want to pay consequences. We, we just want to eliminate that from our society and our lives. But it's, it's a part of us. Whether you realize it or not, we like, we have to take risk. It's like spiritually it's wired in us. And uh, we'll, hopefully we'll see that at the end of the message. All right, so on your bulletins, your little handout there, uh, there's, there's eight points. And the first thing that we got to do, uh, this is probably arguably the most important point on, on seeking direction or, 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 you know, when you're making a decision, is that you got you to pray, pray about it. I know that seems simple, but you actually ha- have to ask God. You have to ask God. You have to bring, present this decision 
to God in prayer. And, you know, we do this and, you know, and then sometimes we just throw up a half-hearted prayer. God, uh, I'm thinking about, you know, going to Burger King. What do you think? And, and there's, you know, um, so we, 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 we will do this. But I'm, spe- I'm preaching to myself this morning. I, I fancy myself as an intuitive person and I can make decisions. I can, you know, make gut decisions. And I, and I think that they're all right. But there's a, there's a thing called history. And uh, if I review my history, I, if I'm really honest with myself, all my intuition decisions, about half of them are right. I only pay attention to the, the half that I got right. I ignore the, the other half that I got wrong. But you can't trust yourself. You need to ask God. Um, Proverbs says it very plainly. He who trusts in himself is a fool. Yeah. How do you like that? Uh, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Now, I want to talk about wisdom. Now, when we, when we approach God, when we approach him in prayer, uh, the scriptures is pretty clear that, that we're to refer to God in the masculine gender. Now, the God has no gender. He's not a guy or a gal. He's God. He creates he's the creator of the universe, okay? But the Bible tells us that we're supposed to interpret him in the male gender. Uh, same thing is with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is, you know, he, he, there's no body, there's no gender, but we're to refer to him in the, in the male gender. Jesus, of course, is, is, is in the male gender, so that one's a little easier to get. But uh, wisdom, wisdom is this really important part of, of God. Wisdom is, it is so key. It is so vital. It's something that you have to get at all costs. And here's the interesting thing about wisdom. It is, it is referred to as the, in the female gender. And one of the things that has helped me to really embrace the idea of wisdom is that, and this is going to be good for guys, is that I, I, in my earlier years, I chose, this kind of sounds weird, but I chose to date wisdom. I'm going to embrace her. I'm going to make her a part of my life. And, and that is the truth when we approach wisdom. There is a, there's an intimate connection with wisdom that we have to have in order to, to have God active in our lives. And there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge and, and understanding, you know, those are the facts. Wisdom is something above just the facts. It's above knowledge. It is, it is the part of God that is just uh, unknowable. But you get to be a part of the unknowable, but you have to embrace her intimately. Uh, that Okay, for you gals, that might seem kind of awkward and weird. Uh, but you know what? Look, us guys, we have to be the bride of Christ. And that's a little awkward and weird, so just, just get over it, okay? It's just, you know, I don't like being a bride, but the Bible tells me I have to, so I do it. So, okay, so wisdom is key. We have to embrace her. We have to, we, we have to, we, we really need to be honest with ourselves and just forget about our gut feelings, Intuition will lie to you. It will trick you. Wisdom will never do that. Um, another proverb, Proverbs 2, verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So knowledge and understanding, it comes from wisdom. 
You need the facts about what, what to do next. You, f- you first seek wisdom in order to get there. You seek wisdom. It's not as black and white as you might think it is. You need wisdom to decipher it. Um, how do you know if, if you're really functioning in wisdom? What's the indicator? Hmm? What's the indicator? Is it, are you experiencing a presence of peace? Peace. You're making a major decision. Do you have peace about this? If you spent any time in pastoral counseling in our office, pastor will say, do do you feel peace about this decision you're about to make? And people squirm when they when they really have to deal with that reality. Is there is there is there peace in this decision? No, I feel a little anxious about it. Well then, son, you need to spend a little more time in prayer. Because the peace of God will transcend all understanding. You will feel the presence of peace whenever you make a decision. So the first thing again we have to do, we have to turn to God in prayer whenever we make a decision. Don't turn to yourself. Don't turn to you into your intuition. You'll lie to yourself. Colossians 3.15. Let's bring it up on the screen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And then I came up with another translation that I like a little better. The peace that Christ gives is to guide you in the decisions you make. You like how that sounds? The peace that Christ gives is to, di- is to guide you. Peace is your guide in the decisions that you're going to make. All right, next thing that we got to do, step two, is we got to research. You're going to make a big decision. You better do your homework. You're going to buy a car. You, you, you better make sure it's not a lemon. It's a big purchase. You know, you're going you know, to make a major career change. You, you, better, you better research the company that you're, you're, that you're interviewing with. Make sure you know what they're about. You want to invest some money. Okay, and the stock market's a little easy. You can invest in the big boys, you know, Walmart, Home Depot. You know, it's a fairly safe bet, you know, leverage risk. But are, are you considering investing some money in a risky business venture? You, it, take some time. Who's in charge? Google their name. You figure this thing out. There are crooks out there. You need to do your homework. You need to do your research. Know what's going on. You know, you want to start a new business. You want to start a small business, and you're, you're, you know, you're excited about it. You're passionate about it. It is the passion that a God has put inside of you, and you're good to go. You, you're, you're an entrepreneur. You want to take that risk. Do your homework. Do your homework. Know your demographic. Where you, where's, gonna, where's your location going to be? Uh, it, it just spend some time. The number one uh, reason that, that small businesses fail is uneducated enthusiasm. They never, they're, they're excited about it, but they never educate themselves on the business they want to jump into. What? I have to pay unemployment tax? What, I have, to, I have to pay insurance? I didn't think about that. So you just, there's these things that you have to think about. It's the number one reason for failure in, in small businesses. It's the number one failure for marriages that end in, in divorce real quick, too. Uh, dating, is, is, it's a research project. 
When you date, you are, you are gathering information. You are researching that person. You're trying to figure out how much crazy you can put up with. That is, that is that's, that's what dating is all about. You have to do your homework. You just can't, you know, just jump in and make a decision. Okay? Step three, and then this is, I want to camp out on this one quite a bit. I think this is probably the most practical, most important, probably for our fellowship, uh, some of the advice that we could get. Number three is that you've got to get counsel when you make a decision. When you make a, when you make a major decision, ask for help. Now, you know, I just said point one is, you know, you ask God. Well, you ask God. I don't need to ask anybody else for advice. Isn't God the authority? Isn't he good enough? Why do I have to ask my brothers and sisters whether this is a good idea or not? Look, yes, God communicates to us directly through prayer. But he also uses your brothers and sisters in Christ to communicate. They're also God's mouthpiece. And to say I don't need advice from brothers and sisters or, or people in authority over me or, or other influential people, I just don't, I don't I'm, I'm good, that's arrogance or it's fear, and it's dangerous at best to say, I don't, I know, I'm, I'm, me and God are good. We've got this thing going on. I don't need help. Um, what that really is doing is saying, um, I'm trusting my discernment of, with God over, you know, accountability in fellowship. I don't need anybody to hold me accountable. I'll just make my, my decisions on my own, and God will agree with me. It's a, it's a dangerous place to be. So we have to seek counsel. And I, I came up with this last night. I think one of the, the first people that you need to seek counsel with is yourself. Actually review your history. You know, have I done something similar like this in the past? How did I react? How did I respond? Most importantly, was God in it? You know, I did a business venture like this once before. Where did I mess up? What can I learn? You have to review your history. Spiritually speaking, it's key to review your history. It's, a never, it's never a good idea to live in the past. But I, I draw encouragement and strength from how God has visited me in the past. One of the most powerful memories that I have in reviewing my past was when I was in England with, with Carl Tuttle, I was probably 10 years old. And it was at Brighton Beach, the big giant um, auditorium there. And, you know, we were just doing church, just doing the, the thing. And the presence of God, the anointing of God, fell so strongly in that place that it made an impression on a young boy that's never went away. You could just see in the spirit um, this outpouring that, that looked like water that started from the balcony and came down to the, to the front of the stage. And people were being healed left and right. People were getting out of wheelchairs. People were receiving their hearing. Uh, blind people were seeing. It was, and there was, it was interesting. Interesting. I'll never forget it. I, I review my history on that. Don't live in the past, but I review my history. I, I prayed for a woman that was blind and she didn't get healed. I remember being angry about God about that one. I, I, I was, it was like, you know, it was hurt. And how come God, how come God, how come you didn't use me in this? 
but he taught me something in that. And I haven't given up praying for the sick since. Just because my experience was failure, I, I didn't live there. I didn't live there. So we review our history. We review our past. It's good. It's healthy. But the other thing that you got to do, the other people that you need to seek counsel for is a diverse, objective group of people. And you have to be honest with yourself when you seek these people out. You know in your heart who is going to agree with you, who is going to tell you what you want to hear. Don't go to those people for counsel. They're just going to tell you what you want to hear. They're yes people, and they don't love you enough to tell you the truth. You need to find people in your life that will give you objective truth, that love you enough to hurt your feelings. And it needs to be diverse. You need to, you need to pick different types of people. Maybe people that are in the business world or pastors, uh, parents, brothers and sisters, people that know you well, people that know your flaws. And you need to ask for counsel. And the reason why you don't is because of pride. It's because of pride or fear. You know, another, I mean, for little bits of information, ask anybody that you meet. Oh, I'm too good. I, I'm not, look, I ask everybody for their opinion on stuff. It, it, I, I gather as much information as I possibly can. And that's what the Lord's called us to do. Now, when you seek counsel, it's good. But you have to be, okay, you know the people that are going to say yes to you. You know that they're just going to, they're just going to, you know, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. Okay? But there's also people in your life right now that will give you bad information. How do you know if you're getting bad information? Well, you need to you think about who you're talking to. The... Is there, is there pain in their life? Is there disappointment in their life? Have they, are they living, are they still grieving over a lost dream or a lost relationship? Have, have they gone through a recovery process? Are they healed? Are they healthy? You have to ask those types of questions before you ask them for advice. Let me give you an example. Like, um, If you're, if you're in a new relationship with somebody, you know, let's pretend I'm a girl. And, I'm, and, and um, yeah, I know. Um, I'm the bride of Christ, right? Um, and I'm in a new relationship with a young man, and it, it's, you know, it seems to be fresh and new. Uh, don't ask your single, lonely, bitter, frustrated single roommate for advice on the relationship. She loves you. She has your best intentions in mind. But she's hurting. And she's going to give you advice like, "Oh yeah, you and you and Bobby are going to make a great couple, but just just keep in mind that he he was a partier back in in high school. Just remember that." Okay? So, look. She wants the best for you, but deep down inside she wants you to commiserate with her. You have to avoid people that are going to pull you down. You're, 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 you want to, 
you know, you're, you're, you're tired of your job. You know, you're just you're frustrated with your work and you want to, you're, you're, you're thinking about, you know, leaving your job. You know, who do you, who do you seek counsel from? Well, you don't seek counsel from your coworker who is also disgruntled and unhappy. He's going to, he, he, what's going to happen? It starts with a G and ends with a P. You guys are going to end up gossiping. And you're just, you're going to complain about the situation. And you're not going to get good information or material because you guys are on the same page. And likewise, you don't want to, you don't want to get counsel from your unemployed cousin that's 50 years old and still lives with his parents. You know, he's going to give you counsel, but deep down inside, he's looking for somebody to play video games with. He says, oh, yeah, you don't want to work anymore. You don't want a job. Just quit your job. Hang out with me. I need somebody to be miserable with. Okay? Uh, I mean, this is kind of, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a little rough, but you'll get over it. Um, but you have, to, you have to seek counsel from people that, that, that have experienced some victory in their life. They've, they've, they have, they've, got some, they've, they've got from point A to point B already. They can tell you how to go. You can learn from their experience. Okay? So this is the beautiful thing is that a lot, of th- a lot of times you learn from your own mistakes. You have the opportunity to learn from somebody else's mistakes so that you don't make those. Life is too short to make all the mistakes yourself. Okay? So um, it, it's, it's, it's a powerful thing that we have. And you just get to, you have to discern, you know, who you get your counsel from. Another thing that we got to do, and this is, there's different levels of counsel. You know, you're trying to decide, you know, uh, what, uh, what movie you want to go see, right? So you, you get some advice, you get some counsel. That's very low-level stuff. So you're trying to decide, um, you know, what career choice you're going to make. That's a different animal altogether. It's a different type of question. It's a different type of decision that you have to make. And you could ask some surface questions, but the strength and the power and the potential of the local church is for you to ask your brother and sister to say, I want you to agree with me in prayer about this decision I have to make. Hmm? All right, you can get advice. That's one thing. But if you get... If you speak, if you seek spiritual direction with agreement and prayer, it exponentially grows and becomes more powerful. Um, Mako and I, when we were trying to have a child, took us four years. It was in our home group that we contended for our child. Every week, every night, people agreeing with us in prayer. And we have a miracle child as a result of that. So it is, it is such an incredibly powerful tool that we have to have people in our lives that, that can give us godly counsel, not just plain old strategic advice, but godly counsel, advice that is, that is, that is wisdom, 
Wisdom. You can get knowledge from the workplace. You can only get wisdom from God's people and God himself. It's an incredible thing to seek wisdom on that level. Now, here's another thing that, that I, this is kind of a warning. This is kind of a, this is kind of a difficult area. This is, okay, that's the exciting part. This is the, the not so exciting part. You have to discern who you let in your life on a deep spiritual level. You just can't let anybody in. You could say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm really, I'm really, I want, I want prayer for the, I'm, I'm going to, I'm really interested in this girl. And I want you to agree. Would you pray with me about this girl that I'm, I'm considering marrying? Okay. This is, this is a true story. This happened. Uh, I just got this story um, uh, right after first service. A young man came up and told me this. He's, uh, he's considering dating this girl. He, he approaches another brother in Christ, a church leader, not in our church, but in a different religious, it's not even a church, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's another ministry, okay? And this other brother in Christ, this leader says, um, I think God wants you to be celibate. Hmm? Why? So my message started getting him to think, and he's like, wait a minute. This guy has lady problems, lots of them. <laughs> he, he's not successful with the girls. There's a lot of pain and a lot of rejection in relationships, and, and he's lonely. And what he's doing is he's projecting that on me. You have to... And this is this is the this is the this is the frustrating thing because you know he's seeing this person as a spiritual leader in his life, but he's getting bad information. He's getting bad spiritual guidance because the guy is giving him spiritual guidance that's laced and tainted with pain and bitterness and loss. And there's the trap. There's there's the thing. So like, who can I trust, Josh? I mean, everybody's everybody's blown it. Well, hopefully we'll figure that out. But you have to, you, can, you just can't, you just have to say, okay, I'm going to let, once you let somebody into your life on that deep spiritual level, you are giving them the right to play the God card. And if they can play the God card, if they say, God said this, then, then you're in a really tough spot. So be careful who you let into your life. You know, do they have disappointment? Do they have pain? Have they gone through a recovery process? Are they healthy? Open your life up to those types of people. Say, agree with me in prayer. Agree with me in prayer. It's, it's key. It's so powerful. Likewise, um, counselors. Somebody is approaching you and saying, I, I need guidance in this. I need help with this. Would you pray with me for this? This is dangerous stuff, folks. Not only do they have to be honest with themselves, you have to be honest with yourself because you are the mouthpiece of God if you accept this assignment. If you accept this assignment, do not take the Lord's name in vain. You know, we think that taking the Lord's name in vain is, you know, saying, ah, God, God damn it. That's not it. The biblical model for taking the Lord's name in vain is saying, thus saith the Lord, 
when you've got pain inside of you, when you're trying to get your own agenda done, when you want to pull somebody down, when you want to have some form of control or spiritual leverage over somebody, that is taking the Lord's name in vain. You try to put power on somebody, you try to overpower somebody with your spirituality, you're using the Lord's name in vain. You do it with the Bible, it's just, it's, it's even worse. You pull out scripture to justify where you're at, you're, it's, it's, you need to fear the Lord on that one. You need to fear the Lord on that one. Don't even go down there. Just be honest with yourself. You know, my, my, fr- my friend that said that they got the celibacy thing put on him. I said, look, God doesn't want you to be celibate. I don't need to pray about that one. <laughs> you're, you, he's, he's putting that on you. Don't, don't receive it. I'm sure he's given you lots of good other stuff. You receive that. You pick and choose what you want. Here's the thing. If you're seeking spiritual direction and you get a religious response, pick and choose. Pick and choose. Spiritual guidance includes wisdom, love, encouragement. If you're getting wisdom and love and encouragement out of somebody's word for you in your life, that's good. If you are getting a religious response that involves control and conformity, there's, there's something not quite right there. Spit out the bones. They're trying to control you. Are they trying to conform you so that you can be like them, so that you experience, it, you experience their disappointment? So they're not alone. That's religion. Reject it. You know, take what's good, get rid of what's bad. All right. You guys doing good? All right. Step four is you need to set your goal. You need to be selective about what you want to do. This is kind of important. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but Let's go back to the job thing. You're unhappy with your job and um, you want to leave. You don't know a whole lot, but what you do know is that you don't like where you're at. But what you don't know is you don't know where you're going. And you need to set a goal. You need to to find something to, to gravitate to. You need to find God's direction in your life before you jump out of the boat. Before you jump out of the boat, you need to find another boat to jump into. You know, when I was in Seattle, I was in this corporate computer sales environment. I liked it for about two weeks, and I was really, really good at it. And, um, uh, you know, I was in this big, giant box of a building with no windows, and then I was in a cubicle inside of a box with no windows, and I'd get to work at, at you know, at 7.30. The sun hadn't come up yet, and you know, I have an hour for lunch and it's raining and then I get done at work at, at 4.30 and the sun's gone down. It was, it, I, it was not a good fit for me. Seattle was just not a good fit. I needed, I needed some sunshine. And um, I had a bad attitude at work. Started showing up late, leaving early, making excuses, slouching in my chair, talking back to my boss. Just bad attitude. Didn't want to be there. Everybody knew it. And uh, um, I, I, at some point, unconsciously, I, I wanted them to fire me. And uh, 
They, they just wouldn't do it. It was like this little game we were playing, you know. Would you please fire me? No. Would you please quit? And, um, and they, they put so much pressure and, you know, it, it just it wasn't a good fit. And so finally it got so annoying that it's like, you know, I'm sick and tired of this and I, I'm mad as heck. I can't take it anymore. I quit. And so I did. And called my dad, you know. Hey, Dad, I just quit my job. Wasn't a good idea, son. <laughs> you made a bad decision. But I can't. I mean, there are a bunch of idiots over there. They don't listen to me. They don't respect me. You made a bad decision, son. <laughs> sure enough, I did. I, it was, you know, I had to scramble for any job that I could find to make rent. I had to settle for a lesser job. I didn't have anything to grab onto when I jumped. And it's not wisdom. It was not a wise choice. You know, the the leap of faith isn't always what it's cracked up to be. Proverbs 17, 24. A discerning man keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. We just got way, some of us got way too many options. We see something shiny and we want to do that. We, uh, you know, I want to be a, I want to be a lawyer now. No, I want to be a teacher. Now I'm going to change my major again. And we're just, we're all over the place. You just got to, you got to settle in. You got to set your goal. Next major point is that you got to count the costs. Anything that's worth anything in life, anything of value is going to cost you. What do you really want in life? Do you want a healthy relationship? It's going to cost you. If you're a selfish person, it's going to cost you a lot. Do you want to get ahead? Do you want to, you want to be a successful business person? It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you about 70 hours a week. So not only is it going to take time, sweat, money, it's going to take a lot of you. It's going to take your whole person if you really want to start your own business. It's going to cost you something. You want a healthy spiritual life? You want God's mark on your finances? It's going to cost you. Nothing of any value is free in this world, including spirituality. That's one of the things that I've learned is like, you know, I'm pretty cheap, you know. But I have learned that it's better to buy quality than, buy, than to buy cheap stuff that breaks. It costs more, but in the long run, it pays off. So it's going to cost you. So you've got to ask yourself, what's it going to cost, and am I willing to pay for it? It's really easy to make decisions, to go for it, to get into something. It's very hard to get out of it. Super easy to get into debt, right? I've got some experience in this. I know what I'm talking about. Easy to get into debt. It's on sale. I'm going to save some money. Let's charge it. I can't pass up this opportunity. Let's get it. Really easy to get into that situation. How hard is it to get out? Very hard to get out. So you have to, you have to count the cost. What's it going to cost in the long run? You've got to project it. You've got to see it in the future. Relationships are the same way. Relationships are super easy to get into because they're exciting and they're fun and they're new and they're fresh. You get the, you get the general adrenaline rush going on. How hard is it to get out of a relationship that went south? I've got some experience in that one, too. Not with my wife, of course. But 
it's difficult. Time commitments. Oh, I just, you know, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do that, Josh. Count me in. I'll, I'll be there. I'll, I'll run that ministry. I'll, I'll do that. And you didn't bother to figure out it's going to cost you some time. It's going to take a chunk of time out of your life. And then once you feel the pressure and you've lost your freedom and, and, your, and your schedule is, is not, not what you wanted, thought it would be, you didn't count the cost, you're frustrated. So you have to count the cost in all these different areas. It's going to cost you something. Anything of value will cost. Easy to get in, hard to get out. Are you willing to pay for it? Six is you have to expect some problems. Now, here's, the, here's where we all trick ourselves. You know, you, you, you prayed about it. You got good counsel. You know, you counted the cost. Um, you're moving forward. And you think that everything's going to be peachy. You're on the right track. And, 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 and you're happy. Well, I guarantee, even if you're in God's will, something's going to go wrong. When you're out of God's will, something definitely will go wrong. Even when you're in God's will, something is going to go wrong. And what do we do when we've made a decision that we think is godly or we think is, is inspired and things go wrong? Oh, I guess that wasn't God's will. Or God's now changing his mind. He's moving me on to something else real quick. See, before we make that decision, you've got to think what is going to go wrong and how can I fix it when it does. You have to think about these things. You have to plan ahead. Uh, the, the scripture on that one, Proverbs 22.3. In the message it says, a prudent, person's, a prudent person sees trouble coming and ducks. A simpleton walks in blindly and is clobbered. But you can't second-guess yourself. You, you know, you're experiencing problem in your business or you're experiencing problem in the relationship. Oh, man. I mean, if I, when Mako and I started dating, everything was great. And then you have the big fight, right? Oh, I didn't see that one coming, right? Come on. Come on. But people, you know, it's like, how valuable is this person to you? Can you fight, see it through, or is this like too much pressure and tension? Oh, this isn't God's will. This, this marriage wasn't made, you know, this is too much problem. I'm out of here. No, that's not what you, you have to, you're going to have problems. But you can't second guess yourself. If you've done all the right steps and God's in it, don't second guess yourself. Step seven, this is a, an important point that I really like to focus on, is that we have to face our fears. It, we've, we've talked a lot about fear. It's actually a major theme in our society right now. It's a, it's a theme in, in, in church life, too, that fear is, is this negative force that keeps us from moving forward. That's a true statement. But... God also created fear. We're hardwired for primal fear. If I'm, in the, if I'm hiking in the woods and I come across a, a bear and I say, oh, God says I'm not to fear and everything's fine, that sucker's going to eat me. I'm going to die. It's foolish to, to not to respond to dangerous situations. Primal fear is a good thing. It keeps us alive. 
But there's something else that, that there's something, a part of who we are, either a part of our DNA or spiritual makeup or our psyche or something that isn't quite right, that's, that's part of the fall. And we have this unconditional, we have this conditional fear. Conditional fear means that, um, that uh, see, our species has, uh, you know, with, you know, has this ability to fear things that aren't there. Animals don't do that. Animals, you know, when they see the big animal getting ready to eat them, then they fear and they either fight or flight, right? But we have this incredible ability to project because we have an imagination to project bad things happening and we can make fear happen when it's not there. And we can live in that fear. And it's not healthy. Conditional fear is not healthy. I asked Sophia, my, my six-year-old, I said, what do you fear? She says, I fear vampires, werewolves, and giant spiders. Hmm? I said, okay, honey, do you realize that those don't exist, that they're make-believe, that it's a, it's a fairy tale? She's like, yeah, Daddy, I understand that. I'm still scared. Yeah? I said, okay, then, then what, do you, what do you fear that's real? She says, I fear black widows. I said, this is real, right? Those are real. I fear black widows, brown widows, and, and knife fights. I, I, say, I know. Where does, a, where does a six-year-old come up with knife fights? I don't know. And, but you see, do you see the difference there? You see what we can do. See, every culture on the planet, around six, you know, five, six, seven, uh, we, they, we have the ability to create the boogeyman who hides in our closet. It's not real. We, we, we can make monsters. We've done it, we've done it since the, the dawn of man where we've, you know, we've made these half-human, half-animal-beast you know, things. It's a part of our psyche. It's part of who we are. Spiritually, it drags us down. It, it hinders us. It keeps us from making decisions. The monster is scarier than the problem. We have to be aware that, that, that it's not about the monster. And we have to face those fears. We can defeat those fears. We can overcome those fears. I think one of the biggest speed bumps in the Christian faith is making a bigger deal of the devil than, he, than, than he's allowed to get. We make a bigger devil. Look, first of all, the devil's not after you. He's after somebody much more important than you are. And, and yes, he has some buddies, but it's actually a set number of buddies that, that, that wants to get humans. And there are more and more and more people on the planet so your odds of not being possessed are, are getting better. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I, I, I should write stuff down before I say it, huh? Um, sorry about that. Uh, but what's my point? We, we tend, we have... We tend to uh, spiritualize everything. We tend to turn every negative situation that we're in into monsters. And it's simply not true. Uh, it's our fault. It's our problem. We created the monster. 
It's our own imagination that's, that's conjured up this thing. It's not real. It's a vampire. It's a werewolf. It's a 50-foot spider. They don't exist. Let's quit fearing those things that we've created in our imagination. Well, fear is, um, overcoming that fear is important. Proverbs 29, 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So fear number three is fear of man. What is that? What is the fear of man? What, are, what it is, is what are people going to think? If I, if I take a risk, what are people going to think? If I pursue this relationship, what are people going to think? That's, that's the fear of man, is, is trying to be accepted, trying to, you know, not wanting to have criticism. When you make a decision, even if it is a God-divine decision, there's people in your life that aren't going to like it. But I heard from the Lord, how come you don't agree with me? I don't know. I just think it's a bad idea. I don't like it. And so because of that, we are afraid to make decisions because we're afraid of what other people are going to think or what other people are going to do. And it's the fear of man that holds a lot of us back. It's better to fear the Lord. Actually, you're going to fear something in your life. You might as well fear the Lord. That's the healthy fear. My, my, my six-year-old, she didn't get this from me. I asked Mako if she got it from her. But and then she said something. She either, either God gave it to her or Jonathan and Ruth upstairs gave it to her. But she says, I also fear God, but in a good way. Doesn't get better than that. All right. And then last point, eight, uh, step eight, is you just got to go for it. You got to go for it. You know, you do all these practical steps and, and you're diligent in prayer and you seek counsel and you, and you count the costs and you, you, you project bad things happening and how to fix it, but you don't obsess about that and you're not losing sleep. You just got to go for it. You can't let fear keep you from moving forward. You've got to take the risk. You've done your homework. It's time to go. It's time to jump out of the boat. Now, when Jesus was walking on the water, Peter, Peter calls out to him. Calls out to him. Jesus says, get out of the boat. Now, he, Peter, it wasn't a complete jump of faith. It wasn't a leap of faith. It was in a big way, but he knew Jesus. He had done his research, and he, and he got out of the boat. He got out of the boat and he kept his eyes on Christ. And as soon as he took his eyes off the Lord, that's when he sunk. We've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. Another great story is um, when, they, when the Israelites were going to take the promised land. He sent in 12 spies. He sent 12 of them in. They, they, they were doing research. They were doing reconnaissance. They were figuring out what the land was like, what the enemy looked like. They were counting the costs. They were doing all of these things. They were, they were becoming informed. 
There was only 10 of them said there's giants in the land. They have big towers. They have big buildings. They have chariots. We can't win. And it actually names these 10 guys by name. They're in the book. That's their, that's their claim to fame is that they say, we can't do it. There's giants. But there were two guys that also went with them that gathered information. Yes, they're correct. Big giant guys, big fortresses, chariots. They're, they're mean, they're ugly, they're nasty. But we can do it. Joshua and Caleb. Those are the famous ones. Those are the famous ones. So they, they got the information and they took the risk. The exponential power, though, that, 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 that they got was, was there. It was there. So you just got to go for it. Gather the information and then take the risk. If you're stuck, if, you're not, if you can't do it, then there's something blocking you. What is that thing? The Lord's Prayer, we, we, have, we have broken that thing apart, dissected it, looked at it and from every angle, every facet. It is, it's a beautiful piece of work. Jesus' uh, instructions on how we are to pray is the most powerful model that we have for prayer. It's a beautiful thing. But if you look at it, you've got uh, our Father in heaven. You turn that phone off. <laughs> our, yeah. See, the anointing is left. I just, I, no. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So we, he starts off the beginning of his prayer with who God is, our Father, and our relationship. And so he starts off with the relationship in heaven. So we start off with relationship and the presence of God. Presence of God. It starts off with the prayer, if you think about it that way. And then he goes through all these other little things, you know. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. This is, this is petitions. This is the practical stuff. Forgive me of my sins and forgive those that are the guys that are coming after me. Keep me from evil. Help me to make right decisions. So those are all in there. But then he ends the prayer with, thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever. And he ends it with presence. So to get back to the, the beginning of the point, it is this peace of the presence of God that will guide you in making decisions. And here's the thing. If you came in, and if you couldn't connect with God during worship, there's something, something you brought something in the building that, that's, that's keeping you. Hate, anger, bitterness, disappointment, whatever it might be. But if you didn't experience the peace of God during worship, then, then, then I, I, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you because it's not necessary to, to be so, to fret about your problems, to be so consumed about it, to worry about it, to not have the ability co to connect with God because you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what to do next. We need to pray for you today. You're stuck in fear. You're, you're, living, you're, you're, you're living in a fear-based uh, walk with the Lord. You need to get out of that. We're going to have uh, Carl and the band come up to the front. Why is risk so important in the Christian life? It, it's, it's, it's how God's made us. 
And our society has taken risk out of the equation, and we've got insurance to help us feel comfortable, and we've got, you know, we've got Social Security to help us feel better, and, you know, government's going to take care of us. That's going to make us feel better. So we quit taking a risk, quit stepping out in faith. It's still hardwired into us. That's why we go to Las Vegas. That's why millions and millions of, of Americans go to Las Vegas, because they've got to have risk. They've got to roll the dice. They got to take a chance. Look, there's a much better chance to take than going to Las Vegas. You can take a chance in your spiritual walk. You can take a risk in, the, in what God has called you to do. You can step out in faith in that area of your life. And think about it this way, too. The biggest gambler in the universe is Jesus. Now, I don't know what your theology is like, but for Jesus to do what he did, I see it as a gamble, as a risk, because he had no idea how humanity was going to respond. He, does, he didn't know how I was going to respond. He, he took a gamble on me. He took a risk on me. And I chose to accept him. Do you realize that? Do you realize that Jesus risked everything for you? Everything for you. Just take a risk for him. Take a risk. Don't, don't, don't vent that in Vegas. Vent that in the kingdom of God. Express that in the kingdom. Don't express that in the world. It's exponential, it's powerful, it will change your life. If you can bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're unable to connect with God today because you're frozen in fear, because there's some big decisions in your life and you don't know what to do, I want, to, I want you to raise your hand. Good. May the, may the peace of God rest on you right now. May the power of the Holy Spirit minister to you. May in this place, in this place, you might not have all the answers, but wisdom is going to tell you. Wisdom is going to embrace you. She is going to hold you tight. She's going to say, you don't have to have all the answers, but I'm going to tell you, it's okay. You can sleep tonight. You can rest tonight. I am going to contend for you. I am going to walk you through this decision that you have to make. Bless the Father. If you're ready to take a risk and a gamble on God, if you've come to the realization that he has gambled for you and you, wanna, you want that relationship, you want to feel that presence, you want to risk God, raise your hand. Today is the day of salvation. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. That is good. You are a new creation. You are a new creation. Come and see me and pastor after the service. I'd like to talk to you a little bit more. If I could have the ushers to come to the front. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for your presence here, your sweet presence that takes away fear, your sweet presence that that ministers to us in a way that that we don't understand, that gives us wisdom, knowledge, insight, understanding that, that only comes from you. God, I pray that everyone here that said, I, I, I'm having problems with, the, with this decision, give them courage, God. Breathe new life into them. God, for this church, God, we pray for that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the fresh anointing, the rejuvenation and the connection with our history, that plan for, for this church and this community to be truly transformed. But Father, I pray that you'll work on us first, transform us first. God, I pray that you bless this offering. We bring it to you, God. Receive our sacrifice. Amen.